Well, guys, uh, again, thanks for joining us. Last week, we began this new series called Won't You Be My Neighbor? And uh, believe it or not, it's not just about uh, putting on a Mr. Rogers uh, outfit, but it's about talking about one of the most important things that the Bible has to say about how we should live, and that's that we are all called to love our neighbor. Last week, we learned that it's impossible to love God and not love your neighbor, right? We also learned that we're selfish, and in order to love our neighbor, we have to learn how to love God first and put God things first so that our self-love, which is selfish, will be turned into a God love, which can then be poured out in a neighbor love. This morning, I want to talk about now that we know how that's supposed to transpire, who is it exactly that we're called to love? And that's what I want to talk to you about this morning. And so um, if you have a Bible, you can follow along your digital sermon notes. Though, guys, we have all of this for you, and you can read along with us. And uh, I'm going to be reading from the book of Luke, chapter 10, starting in verse 25. Miss Catherine, would you be kind enough to turn down the air just a bit? Uh, I know you guys are comfortable. We normally keep it 68 in here. And uh, you're thinking, oh my gosh, I'm going to freeze. But uh, we put it on like 72, and when you have lights on you and you dressed up like Mr. Rogers, it's a little warm. So uh, stick with me, stick with me. Here we go. Luke chapter 10, starting in verse 25. Here's what the Word of God says. Then an expert in the law stood up to test him, saying, Teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Well, what's written in the law? He asked him. Well, how do you read it? He answered, love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, with all of your strength, and with all of your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. You've answered correctly, Jesus told him. Do this and you'll live. But wanting to justify himself, he asked Jesus, and who is my neighbor? Jesus took up the question and he said, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho and fell into the hands of robbers. They stripped him, beat him up, and fled, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be going down that road. When he saw him, he passed by on the other side. In the same way, a Levite, that's, that's somebody that would work in the temple, when he arrived at the place and saw him, pass by on the other side. But a Samaritan on his journey came up to him, and when he saw the man, had compassion. He went over to him, and he bandaged his wounds, pouring on olive oil and wine. And then he put him on his own animal, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. The next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper. And he said, take care of him. When I come back, I'll reimburse you for whatever extra you spend which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of robbers? The one who showed mercy to him, the man said. And then Jesus told him, go and do the same. Go and do the same. There's three things I want to share with you based on uh, this text. And, and here's the first thing, and, and you may think this doesn't have much to do with being a neighbor, but it really does because it's an important life principle. And it's that... It's not enough to know the truth. We have to be committed to living it out. It's not enough to know the truth. We must live it out. And, and so it, it's interesting. We have a very similar situation to the one we had last week, right? Where an expert in the law is trying to test Jesus. And so uh, this time the man says, hey, what do I have to do to inherit eternal life? Uh, which Jesus then replies, basically, well, you're the expert in the law. You tell me, what does the law say? So the man answers correctly. 
He quotes the first and the second greatest commandment. I wonder if he was there when Jesus uh, answered the question we talked about last week, right? Uh, and, and so he answers, you love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, with all of your mind, with all of your strength, and your neighbor as yourself. And then Jesus says this to him in verse 28. He says, you've answered correctly, do this and you will live. Do this and you'll live. Now, now look at that. You have answered correctly. What Jesus is saying is, yep, you're right. You know exactly what you're talking about. You know the truth. But then he says to him, so now go and do it. Now go and, and do it. And then Jesus goes on and tells this story. right? He tells this parable. And what's the point of the parable? Well, the point of the parable is that love is a verb. Right? That you can't love somebody in thought or just emotion but love is always a verb. It, it always requires action. Right? I think that's what James is thinking in James 1.22 when he says, don't merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. Christians, it is a deception to think that it's enough for us to know the truth. To know the word of God. If we are not committed to actually putting the word of God into practice, then we are lying to ourselves about what Christianity really is. Right? We are. We are. And so we have to start there. Uh, that's part of our motto, by the way, at our church. Maybe you haven't heard that during the pandemic. Uh, but pre-pandemic, we talked about it almost every week. Our motto, very simply put, is to love God to love people and to do something. We have to be doers of the word. So we're going to start there with it's not enough to know the truth. We must live it out. Now let's talk about this neighboring thing. Second thing I want you to see this morning is this, guys, that loving our neighbor is a call to love all people without prejudice. Let me say that again. Loving our neighbor is a call to love all people without prejudice. Now, uh, this may sound silly to you, but I feel like in today's age, we have to define prejudice. And if you were going to Google prejudice, or if you went to Merriam-Webster's Dictionary, and you looked up the adult definition of prejudice, it is uh, impossible to understand. Uh, adults make things so complicated, right? Amen? Uh, we take simple truths and we make them... So I think that's why Jesus said like, hey, like, if you want to inherit the kingdom of God, you've got to have faith like what? Like a child, right? And so I, I, looked at, I looked at all the definitions of prejudice and how we as adults have tried to construe them because like this man in the story, we want to justify ourselves. Um, and I stripped all that away. And if you go to Merriam-Webster's, they have a kid's dictionary. And here's how you define prejudice as a, for a child. Ready? So I just feel like that's a good place to start. Prejudice is a liking or dislike for one rather than another, especially without good reason. It goes on. It says it's a feeling of unfair dislike directed against an individual or a group because of some characteristic such as race or religion. That's prejudice, right? That's prejudice. So an expert in the law, he knew what the law said. He knew that he was supposed to love his neighbor, but he also knew that there were people that he did not love. That there were people that in his opinion were unlovable. And so he tries to justify himself before Jesus. This is verse 29. It says, but wanting to justify himself, he asked Jesus, well, and who exactly is my neighbor? Who is, is my neighbor? You see, he's trying to justify there are certain people that he doesn't love. 
that, that he and his opinion, like those are unlovable people. I don't have to love those, right? And, and by, the word, the, the, by the way, the word justify, it means to declare right. This man is trying to declare that it is okay, it is in fact right, that there are some people that he, he deems as unlovable. So that's, that's okay, that's right, right? It's right not to love everybody, right? Surely you don't mean everybody. And, and so he asked, well, who exactly is my neighbor? Let me tell you why I hate this question. And, and, and by the way, we're all guilty of asking these kinds of questions, ready? This is a boundary question, right? This is a how far can I go question. This is a where's the line question. How far can I go or how far do I have to go? They work either way. But that, that's that kind of question. Uh, when I was a youth minister, I got these questions from students. By the way, parents, you've got to step up your game when it comes to your kids. Telling them what's okay and what's not okay. Because I, I, had, I had 150 uh, kids at, at one point in my youth group, and, and they're all asking me, how far can I go when it comes to dating? Where's the line? Uh, we can kiss, we can hug. Like, what, what's okay, what's not okay? Because parents weren't laying down those boundaries, right? And, and, and so I'm just going to say to you uh, what I would say to those teenagers, if you're asking a boundary question... It's an indication of a deeper heart issue. If you're asking how far can I go or how far do I have to go, it's an indication of a deeper heart issue. Right? Because, because your, your, your issue is not really what behavior I need to get away with. Your issue is deep down somewhere, there's a part of you that wants to reject the call of God and what He's placed on your life. And so, so listen, this man asked, well, who is my neighbor? How far do I have to go? He's trying to justify himself, right? And so Jesus tells him a story about, about loving the people that you think the least of. Right? Because this is a Jewish man, an expert in the law, and Jesus puts out two people that should be highly esteemed, in, that are, are highly esteemed in Jewish culture. A priest who walks by on the other side, a Levite who works in the temple who walks by on the other side. And then listen, the person that he thinks the least of in life, a Samaritan, which he saw as a half-breed, yep, that's a race issue, it's a religion issue, it's both those things all wrapped up into one. He thinks that person's not really worthy, they're not really a person. He, he deems them unlovable, unworthy of his time, energy, and effort. And Jesus says, yep, that's the person that's your neighbor." The person you think the least of. The person that in your mind, you're trying to justify some level of hate for. And you go, it's, and you're thinking, Pastor, this is rough. Like, I don't hate anybody. Well, what do you call not loving somebody? Isn't that basically hate? Well, no, I'm just lukewarm. No, that's not really how that works. Okay? And, and, and so listen, we, we have to understand what Jesus is teaching. And listen, this is a radical call. Some you say, I, I don't like this call. This is, this, is, this is too much for me. If you think that's too much, that Jesus says, love the person you think the least of, then you should listen to these words from Luke chapter 6. He goes further. He says, but I say to you, who listen, love your enemies. Right? Do what is good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who mistreat you. Somebody says, pastor, where is the line? And I say, there is no line. Jesus' call is very simple. We are called to love people, all people, without prejudice. Does that make sense? It's a big deal. Second greatest commandment. 
so that the world will know that there's a God, right? How does the world know that there's a God, right? How do they know that there's a God that loves them and cares about Him? Through our love for them. Through our love for them. Second greatest commandment. So is there anyone that doesn't need to know that God loves them? The answer, of course, is no. So we must love without prejudice. Third thing I want you to know is that according to this passage, loving our neighbor is costly. Loving our neighbor is, is costly. So uh, the question that he asks as he tries to justify himself goes back to our conversation last week. So why does the expert in the law ask a question going, hey, where's the line? Who, who do I have to love? Well, he does it. What did we say last week? We're inherently selfish, right? We are selfish, and that, that's why we, we don't love well. Okay, I'm threatened by other people. And, 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 and we, you can go back and listen to last week's sermon if you didn't catch it. it there's some good stuff in there. And so, so listen, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm selfish. Not only am I selfish, though, I'm also cheap. Come on, anybody else? Let's be honest. You want to raise your hand in church? Cheap, 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 cheap. Yep, yep. Uh, somebody told me once, you get what you pay for. And I'm like, oh, I hate that. I hate when I look back over my life and I was like, I'm going to get me a good deal. I got... I got a good deal. Didn't get anything great. I got a good deal. We're cheap. We're lazy. And here's the problem with love. Love is a verb. That's like the fourth time I've said that, I think. Love is a verb. And it, it's costly. So think about what it costs the Samaritan. Ready? So we had two people that walk across on the other side. They're headed somewhere. They're going somewhere. They don't have the time. They, they don't want to get dirty. Then you have the Samaritan who stops. So the first thing it cost him is time. Right? Costing time. He has to stop what he is doing. He has to stop his selfish desires. Like, I'm, I've, I've got something to do. I've got somewhere to be. I have some people to see. I, I, I. So he has to into the eye, no more eye, I'm going to focus on him, right? So it's the first thing it cost him is time. Second thing it cost him is safety, right? Think, think about this, uh, how, how do you not know this isn't a trap? I, that'd be the perfect trap if I was a thief, right? I'm going to leave a guy uh, naked and, and bleeding, and I'm just going to hide behind the bridge and wait until somebody stops. I'm going to get him too, right? Now there's two people laying there, like it's, it's a thing, right? So, so he, like, not only that, he's, he's got to touch blood. Uh, he's he's, he's got to bandage somebody up. It's a safety issue, right? And, and so it cost him personal safety. Uh, uh, go further, it cost him comfort. Did you notice what he does with the man after he bandages him up? He puts him on his animal. means the guy gets to ride, he's got to walk. Okay? This is kind of like if you were out with your family. I don't know if you guys... Like we, our family car doesn't fit more people, right? I mean, they don't make car... I mean, they do make some cars bigger, but like, I, I'm not... Yeah, it's, this is as big as my car is going to be. So, like, I think we have one extra seat. So, so imagine we're in the car. We've got one of the kids' friends with us. So we're full, and we see somebody on the side of the road. So this is me going, hey, Hope, I guess you're going to drive. Put this person in the passenger seat, and I'm going to walk back into town. That's what this guy does. He walks back. So it costs him comfort. Not only that, it costs him money. That's not one of those things we like to talk about, right? So he, he uses up all of his own bandages. He uses up his own olive oil. He uses up his own wine. Then he pays for a hotel room. And then he pays the innkeeper for extra care and says, if I haven't covered any of this, I'll come back and pay you some more. And why does he do all that according to Jesus? Because... He loves like a neighbor should. 
See, neighborly love always costs us something. So I'm going to challenge you this morning. If you hear this story and you immediately think, I'm not really that kind of person, then you've got to start thinking about what it takes to be a neighbor. Because God says this is the second most important thing we can do. You got it? Second most important thing. You're like, well, no, no, no. Surely the second most important thing is that I showed up for church Sunday. Hallelujah. I'm glad you're here. Please come back. For those at home that haven't come back, come back, right? But it's not the second most important thing you can do. Right? Loving God, first most important thing you can do. This is part of that, right? I, I, I get you. But the second most important thing you can do in all of life, all of life, is to love people well that they know that there's a God that loves them and cares for them. It's why you're here on earth. And if you want to do the first thing well, you cannot do it without the second thing. So what do we do with that? What do we do with this story? I'll I'll give you a few things and I'll let you go. Uh, Number one, I think we're called to start doing what we know. Somebody says, Pastor, what are you talking about? Here's what I'm talking about. I say, do what you know. Uh, The problem with the church, the global church today, believe it or not, is not a lack of knowledge. It's not. There's a lot of people that think that. I think there's a lot of pastors. We think, man, I've got to do better at my discipleship program. Uh, We've got to teach better doctrine. We've got to teach this, teach this, teach this. The truth is that Christians today have more access to the Word of God than ever before in the history of mankind. Did you know that? We, we have more access to the teachings of Jesus today than in the history of mankind. People used to have little, little fragments of the Bible that they would hang on to. Uh, they usually had to be passed from church to church to church so they would commit them to memory. Right? I mean, I mean like we have more access today to the Word of God than ever before. The church's problem is not a lack of knowledge. The church's problem is a lack of application. It's a problem of doing what the Scripture says. Not knowing what the Scripture says. Because the truth is, we know enough. We're just not doing it. Love God with everything you are. Do you do that? If not, do it. Love your neighbor as you would love yourself. Are you doing that? If you're not, change. Just start loving people. Regardless of background. You said, but they're not a very good person. Well, love them till they are. Right? You say, but I don't agree with their lifestyle. They probably don't agree with yours. Love them anyway. They look different than me. Praise God for that. If everybody looked like me, y'all be in trouble. Can't wait for my resurrection body. It's coming. Love them anyway. Do what you know. Number two. Stop justifying your lack of love for others. Stop it. Drop the prejudice. Justification, it's okay. It's right. No, it's not right. It's not right. It's not right to be so frustrated with another political party that you just don't even want to talk to them or cut them completely out of your life. That's wrong. Can I I just say it any stronger? It's wrong. And as Christians, as followers of Christ, if there's anybody on the face of the planet that should be able to put up with somebody else's nonsense in a political arena, it's us because we know that stuff doesn't really matter. 
right? Because Christianity has flourished under tyrants and republics. Because that stuff isn't what it's about. And if we let that stuff be our podium and our message, we have lost it. Because that is the most unloving stuff you can wrap yourself up in. Because it's all about, I'm right, you're wrong. You don't love me now. I don't love you now. That's all it is. And unless we as Christians in America start repenting of our, our legalistic idolatry of politics, we will never love well. It's got to happen. So I'm just going to ask you this morning, who is it that you're justifying your lack of love for? Is it the host of CNN? Right? Is it the host of Fox News? Is it the person that posted that thing on social media that you just, oh my gosh, I've got to unfriend them now? What, what, who is it? Because guess what? There is no justification for a lack of love. That ain't right. No matter how hard you try to make it right. It's not. Lastly, we need to step up to the bat and begin paying the price to love our neighbor. Love is costly. I'll tell you one of the things it's going to cost you. Ready? We talked about this last week. It's going to cost you security. Because you know what it means to love somebody? It means that you open yourself up for hurt. It does. And can I just tell you that loving people is one of the most painful things you will ever do because you will get hurt, people will leave you, they will walk out on you, they will say that you're, you're, they're your best friend and then they will say things behind your back that they wouldn't say to your face. Like it is going to happen. And you know what you do? Ready? Here's the recipe. Love them anyway. Love them anyway. Who cares? You're going to abuse me? You're going to use me? You want to talk behind my back? It's cool. I love you. You know why? Because I'm not living for you. This is my act of worship unto God. Loving your difficult rear end. Worshiping Him by loving you. We've got to pay the price. Alright? How many people think this message is a little hard? That's why I wore the cardigan. That's why we played the song. <laughs> it's a beautiful day in the neighborhood. Beautiful day for a neighbor. Bam! Would you be mine? Could you be mine? Won't you be my neighbor? Um, it's important. It's important we learn it. It's important we do it. Let's commit ourselves to it this morning. I'm going to pray for us. Father, thanks for loving us. God, you are good. Your word endures forever. You have called us to this. You've actually said this is the second most important thing we can do in life. So God, help us take it seriously. Please, please, King Jesus, give us the strength, give us the commitment to do this very hard thing and to love people well. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.